You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 151 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Monday evening. Uh, nothing's really happening still, and basically the entire hot stove has been cooled completely in the last week or two, even more so than before that. But we do have a, a nice central topic to talk about on this podcast, and joining me as often, the great Eric Cole. What's up, man? Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, these uh, these Atlanta Hawks seem to be doing some stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's my night. I'm record- yeah, I'm recording right <laughs> after a Hawks win, and uh, it's not my day job. I would say, uh, in order of my time commitments in life, uh, number one is my day job. Number two is the Hawks. Number three is probably the general NBA, and then the Bra- and then the Braves. I do love the Braves and have covered the Braves for a while, but um, time commitment wise, I spend a lot more time on Hawks because I run a I run a website and do a podcast and all that fun stuff, and uh, it's been busy in that particular neck of the woods, but. The Braves have been quiet, and uh, they're not alone. I think some fans have kind of talked themselves into the Braves being the only team that's not doing anything, which is kind of hilarious because no, no, no one's doing anything, at least for the last little while here. Um, there is a little bit of news. I want to talk to you about prospects. That's like sort of the, the biggest part of this podcast because you are the prospect guru, Eric. That's what I call you. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, uh, <laughs> it's a very grandiose term for what I am, but sure. It's absolutely what you are. Um, but before we get to that, I guess we have to update people on the, I mean, it's been a while, like a week and a half since we did a podcast. I guess the the biggest quote unquote, and I'm, I'm kind of using massive scare quotes on that. The biggest thing is that there was a little bit of buzz about Craig Kimbrell and the Braves over the last week or so. Um, I would call it pseudo buzz, not really like full fledged rumors, but you know, John Heyman referenced the Braves as a team that could be quote lying in the weeds end quote for Kimbrell. And um, of all of the big name free agents, uh, which is basically Kimbrel Machado and Bryce Harper, I think Kimbrel was the most likely to come to the Braves. So, what did you make of that little um, inkling that was out there from Heyman and others? And uh, is this something that you would be on board with? I think obviously the price is coming down a little bit considering how late it is in the uh, in the winter. But is there a price point where you would be on board with Kimbrel? Well, I, I guess I'll start by saying that anything that John Heyman says, I kind of take with a little bit of salt because <laughs> Scott, uh, you know, Scott Boris clients, especially. Yeah, when, if if it's a Scott Boris client, especially, you know, it's pretty clear that Heyman's primary source on that is Scott Boris, and the information that he's putting out there, he's being told to 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 put out there, uh, which is kind of a shame because honestly, for a long time, Heyman was actually a really good reporter, but now it's just kind of it is what it is. That said, I don't think it's a crazy notion that Kimbrough could come back for the Braves. Um, it's kind of, you know, <laughs> I say unfortunate, it's unfortunate for Kimbrell, but I'm sure he was thinking that he could get a five or six year deal and one of those big reliever deals and his la- the last big deal he's probably going to get, uh, this off season. But 
teams are kind of figuring out that as relievers get older, there's diminishing returns and it can come pretty quickly. So they're not going to sign relievers, even as good as Kimbrel has been for the last forever. Um, he's not going to get that, you know, five year, hundred million dollar deal or something close like that. You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, so it comes down to what kind of fit that is. And one, obviously Kimbrel has been a brave before, so he's familiar with the organization. And I've always kind of been suspicious of, I mean, obviously if there's a guy like a Kluber or, you know, a big time front, front of the rotation arm, then you, the Braves should absolutely explore trades for that. But I never understood that this like stated need of, adding a starting rotation like a, a member to the starting rotation unless you're like really desperate to replace Julio Tehran with another veteran because you have so many starting pitching prospects that are have either already have time in the major leagues or are basically ready now even if they haven't had much time that I just didn't I, I guess I never really understood the need to get a starting pitcher but there is a need in the bullpen to have kind of reliable when in doubt when things are going wrong wrong you can bring this guy out and you know and they will take care of take care of business, and Kimbrel fits that mold. Uh, obviously, he had a little bit of some ups and downs in the playoffs this year, but I mean, it's hard to argue with his track record over the last several years. Uh, I'm definitely interested, maybe on a shorter deal, like maybe like I would even probably go as high as maybe three years or so. But again, giving a reliever twenty million dollars a year is probably not going to work. Um, I just don't think that Kimbrel's going to get that. So there's there's definitely some price points that I think are feasible that would also make me interested in having him aboard because again, he's kind of one of those pieces where, you know, at the back end of the bullpen, it's one less thing you have to worry about. And with so many other kind of starting pitcher pitchers that you guys probably have to move to the bullpen now at this point, that, you know, you might be able to like, you know, manage his workload a bit. You have you have AJ Minter, you have this guy, you know, in the fold already that, you know, he doesn't have to save every game, but he's a guy that you can bring in, you know, and he will be a reliable part of the bullpen. So is there a price point? Yes. I'm I guess some maybe some sort of three year, maybe maybe fifteen a year, maybe I'd be okay with. I don't know. I'd have to kind of think about it. But yeah, I mean that's that's less than he was supposed to get, obviously, which kind of opens the door. We've kind of, I think, all three of us, you know, talking about you, Scott, and I, have been kind of all skeptical of a big money deal for a reliever the entire offseason. With that said, I mean Kimbrel is of course the best guy available, and if the market really is drying up so badly that he just wants some security, then that kind of makes some sense. Um, and, but there, I guess with all these guys, there's, I guess there's the looming possibility of a one year, like balloon payment kind of deal, like the one that Donaldson signed. I wouldn't bet on that, but you know, Kimbrel is very good. I will say for me, my guard is up a little bit, you know, two of the last three years, he's been kind of ordinary, like still, still good, but not exceptional. 2016, he had a 3.40 ERA, which is not bad by any means, but not dominant at all. I actually walked five guys per nine innings. Last season, 2018, he walked 4.48 per nine and um, had a two had a 2.74 ERA despite a really low BABIP and a lot of home runs. Again, you're still talking about a great pitcher. He's still very, very good, very, very valuable. But of the last three years, the only year that you would like want to be paying a guy 20 million dollars is for 2017 when he was absolutely awesome. 16.43 strikeouts per nine, 1.83 walks. That's ridiculous. A yeah. 1.43 ERA. If, if that guy exists, then obviously he's worth 20 million dollars. But if the other guy, if it's the guy from 20, 2016 and 2018, you don't want to be paying $20 million for that pitcher. Like, he, I mean, it wouldn't kill you. But combine that with, with his age, he'll be 31 in May. Kimbrell's not young. He's got some miles on him. Like, on the bright side, no injury history, really. He's been pretty durable throughout his career. But I, I just have my guard up on a guy who's in his 30s now as a reliever. So 
there is a price point, as you kind of mentioned, a shorter a shorter deal makes some sense. Obviously, the Braves do have some money to spend. How much money is all, is kind of always the big factor right now. You know, they obviously have the money. It's just kind of what they're going to what they're going to allow um, Terry McGurk and Alex Anthopoulos to spend. Kimbrel wouldn't be the guy I would target in a vacuum, but if the other if the other options dry up and you get him for a bargain, then sure, sign me up. I just don't think that's necessarily going to be the this the scenario that we'll that we'll see here. I just I do think it's more feasible. Like if you told me this two months ago, I would have kind of I think we did kind of laugh it off. It's not really an option, but now that he's just not going to get the big deal, it looks like maybe the Braves are a fallback, and maybe he wants that comfort of you know coming back to a home of some sort and just kind of being a contributor on a short-term deal, maybe try to get back on the market again before he's too old to get back on the market again. So there is value to that, taking a two- or three-year deal, still being 32 when you hit the market again versus 34, 35. That can be helpful for you, but it's going to take that for me to be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, and it, it doesn't hurt that if Kimbrell came back, he would be like treated like a king by fans, you know what I mean? Like oh, it's for, all the fans the fans are all aboard. And even when it was big money, there was a lot of fans asking us and telling us they wanted Kimbrell and you know why. I mean, when he was in Atlanta, he was the best reliever in baseball. You know, he was that again two years ago. He is excellent. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, my skepticism is not really Kimbrel-based. It's more, he's relievers. not quite, yeah, it's it's relievers, it's his age, and he's not quite the same guy that he was when he was when he was with the Braves. You know, he had the he had the year two years ago where he was that pitcher again, you know. But with the Braves, for, for three straight seasons – he had an ERA of 1.61 or few or, or, or less for the, yeah. for the Braves. He had a full season with a 1.01 ERA as yeah. a full-time closer. <laughs> like, yeah, that is that, outrageous. Yeah. Um, we, so, we, I want that, Kimbrell. Can we get that one? Yeah, I mean, we're not hating. So we're not hating on Kimbrell. Like, he's really good at baseball. I just, for me, reliever, especially one of his age. Like, if, if, if Kimbrell was 25, I still wouldn't be, like, banging the drum and – in terms of going to sign him to a huge deal because relievers scare me, but I'm even more skeptical because he has a lot of mileage and all that fun stuff. So it'd be fun. I mean, the, the team would obviously be better with Craig Kimbrough on it. No one's saying otherwise. It's just sort of a cost-benefit analysis and the opportunity cost there. What, where do you want to spend your money? And if the Braves only have a set number and they use all of that money or most of that money on Craig Kimbrough, could you have improved elsewhere? That's the question. Yeah, I mean, and the I guess the bigger question comes down to the next two guys we're supposed to be talking about. You know, is there a realistic chance that the Braves could get Manny Machado and Bryce Harper? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's well, not, funny. not and, but not and. We should say or. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not gonna be and. Yeah, you're right. It's not. Uh, just to make, just to make sure we, people, we, we were we were clear about that. It's not going to be and. We, I promise you that. But you heard it here first. Brad thinks that we can get Machado and Bryce Harper. Go ahead and send all inquiries to him at BT Roland on Twitter. Absolutely. Uh, um, I, I will say this about the Machado and Harper kind of random chatter. It seems like every like every day there's three or four teams that are quote checking in on them or possibly meeting with either one of these guys. I think there's zero percent chance that Manny Machado is coming to the Braves, uh, just because like he seems enamored, like the teams he's been like rumored to talk to or rumored to want to go to are these big market teams. Um, he he's either looking for a big market or a big deal, and I don't think that the Braves are willing to do either one of those. And the Braves do have Dansby Swanson, and while we can all have our skepticism about Dansby's bat, and you know, the, and he's earned a certain level of criticism of that, he's still a very good defensive player. And putting Machado at shortstop defensively, there's some that. real, yeah, he he wasn't particularly good there, and you can kind of maybe 
him and Hahn say he was a little bit better with the Dodgers defensively, and this is the same guy that was kind of like an all-world defensive third baseman, so maybe it could translate and he just needs some time to adjust over there. That's fine, but the level of upgrade you get from Dansby to Machado, you have to wonder if that's how you should best spend your money. Um, but all that said, if between the two, I think that it's more likely it's gonna, it would be Bryce Harper. It, it requires some moving parts involving probably moving Ender and Ciarte, so that way Kikuni would be in center field, and then you play Marquecas in, in right field, and then you have Bryce in left. Um, obviously, the money is the biggest concern simply because Harper, it seems like at this point, is going to get the bigger of the two deals between, Har- between Harper and Machado, I think. I mean, it's kind of hard to gauge anything right now. Uh, I think Machado probably ends up with the White Sox just because they seem to be wanting to throw all, all the money at them at him. Um, and Harper kind of would be an interesting piece here. Uh, some Braves fans have been very adamant about they don't want him because they think he's a punk or they don't think he's particularly good or that his bad at, batting average is low, and I think that's pretty silly. But, you know, again, it, that type of deal, if it, were, if it were to happen, would be this would probably have to be some weird front-loaded deal with an opt-out. So it ends up kind of working out like a short-term deal, but, you know, he signs a contract that's, you know, however many years, how for how long. A short-term and, deal with uh, none of the long-term benefit and all of the risk, which is not what you want. You opt-outs, Anthopolis is kind of famously against them. He, he did not go as far as to say that he refuses to give an opt-out, but he does not. he's never given one, and he definitely does not like them. He's on the record as saying that. So just as, well, as some backdrop there, because and you get why, because, you know, again, the team has all, has, has all the risk with opt-outs like that, and the player doesn't have any risk. Agreed. Uh, and again, that's why I think it would, the only way it would make sense is if it was front loaded and like those last few years were like for not a ton of money. One, one thing to consider with like a long-term deal for either one of these guys that folks kind of have to start thinking about is arbitration's not getting any cheaper. I mean, Mookie Betts just got $20 million in arbitration in his second year. Arenado just got $26 million. And sooner or later, you're going to want to figure out what you're going to do with Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies and all these other guys that are coming up. And if you want to pay, have any hope... Pay them. <laughs> yeah, pay Ronald Acuna yeah. is what's going to happen. Well, well, and it should happen. But at the same time, like, you know, if you are if you lock up a bunch of money on one of these big guys that you're just wondering why the Braves aren't signing, that, that could be an overriding factor. That's why they might be targeting short-term deals because they know that they want they want to lock up Ronald Acuna. They know they would want to, you know, maybe lock up a, a, a even Fulty or, you know, Ozzy Albies, guys like that. If you know you want to do that, you have to kind of have the money to do that and you have to plan for it. Um, but again, I, I don't think either one of those is super likely. But of the two, I would say that, you know, if something weird were to happen and all of a sudden the Braves were to, you know, land one of those big guys, I guess it would be Bryce. But again, I wouldn't see either one of them as likely. Yeah, that's probably a good way to leave that for now. I mean, I don't want to even want, we I feel like we talked about it a lot, and we kind of said what we what we're gonna say. Obviously, the Braves would be better with either one of those guys on board at a price point that makes sense. Then sure, and if not, I think it's definitely still unlikely. But until they sign somewhere, and they still haven't signed anywhere as of this podcast at ten ten oh one p.m. on Monday night, you know, until the door is closed, I guess we have to always keep it in mind. But. I'm gonna it's start refreshing. Like, I'm gonna start refreshing Twitter because that's usually the cue for when something. Yeah, happens, I'm on. So. I'm on TweetDeck, and I'm sure something's gonna break either during or after this podcast is up, and then I have to travel the next three days, so it's gonna be really, really, really bad timing. And speaking of that, JT Real Muto, <laughs> the guy, we, the guy we, we've discussed Seamless. probably more than anyone uh, this entire offseason. Uh, no huge update. The last thing that I saw was Joe Fersaro saying that there were five teams in it, and it's the Padres, the Reds, the Dodgers, the Rays, and the Braves. That's not anything surprising. Uh, you've heard some stuff out there about you know Ian Anderson's the guy they want, and all. There's there's little tidbits here and there about Real Muto. 
we're all in this holding pattern, and kind of everyone agrees the Braves are one of the favorites, but it's February. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, the clock, the clock is ticking a little bit. I think it's a little bit overstated that how late it is in the in the offseason because games don't start for a while longer, and you often see some moves happening even after guys report to spring training. But Real Muto is still a member of the Marlins at this point in time. I think they're going to trade him at some point, but for now, the Braves are just a leader. Um, do you have any new thoughts on Real Muto? Because I'm, I'm kind of just out of thoughts, honestly. Uh, um. So I, I don't think that the Dodgers are going to – I think if the Dodgers wanted to deal for Real Muto like or had a strong inclination to do so, they would have already. Um, they have the prospects to do it. I don't understand the, – and the Rays' interest I do understand, although locked, sending long-term assets like, like the prospects they have, and their, their farm system is legitimately great. Um, and they, if they, have the, they have the prospects to go get them if they want to. The way that their finances work, though, I don't understand how they would want to trade – like real prospects, which is what the Marlins are going to want because they they need those guys to be like competitive for the long term in order to get a catcher for two years who has his own warts. I mean, like he's not a particularly great framer and things like that. I, 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 I question whether or not that interest, I mean, I think that anyone's going to be interested in Re, JT Real Muto. I just don't know if the Rays are going to be willing to pull the trigger given how they run things. What's more puzzling to me is the Padres and the Reds stuff because I don't see a world where the Reds are competitive over the next two years. I just don't. Um, they they made some improvements, kind of, this offseason, and they brought Yasiel Puig, Puig in. They have Alex Wood, and you know they made a couple other upgrades, but like they talked about making this big splash in the offseason, and they kind of haven't done that. And they ha- that's a, that's a roster that has its own problems. And a lot of their prospects, like you know Nick Senzel and Hunter Green and all those guys are legitimately good prospects, but I don't see how that they can compete in that division over the next two years, and I don't think there's any world where JT Realmuto would extend there. The Padres, I could maybe see a world where he would extend there if he really believed that the young core, I mean, plus living in San Diego is like one of the best places in the world. It's constantly 70 degrees and you know beautiful and on the ocean and all that stuff, but the Padres is another team where they've been kind of rumored they were going to be talking to the Marlins and another team that has the farm system to do it if they really if they if they wanted to really pony up and throw a bunch of prospects at them but a lot of their prospects that they have are far away i mean they again another really good farm system that's really deep and they should be a pretty good team but maybe it might be 2021 when that happens just because they've drafted a lot of high school guys and they have a lot of young international talent that's going to take a little bit of time to get through the minors and get good again would real moto extend there maybe again it's kind of that's the thing i just don't know why they would acquire a short-term asset like real moto for a couple years when that's not necessarily when i think their window is so i mean i'll say what i've been saying for a while is i think the braves are the favorite I think that they have the best offer on the table i think the marlins are just taking their sweet time hoping that someone gets desperate and we'll make a deal for them so they don't have to deal with the Braves because for whatever reason they don't want to deal with the Braves, but they're gonna they don't also don't want to what they've done the last for the last few deals now is possibly turn down better offers for because of either mistakes or because they just didn't want to deal with a division rival or they just didn't want to deal with a specific team for whatever reason. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was an offer on the table that had Ian Anderson or Austin Riley in it. Um, with a couple other with a couple other decent prospects in there, the Braves would be willing to pull the trigger on that. But I just don't think that the Braves are budging just because there's been other teams mentioned. You know, the Braves have made their offer, and now the Marlins are just trying to feel things out and try to get other teams involved. For sure, it's about value. I mean, Anthopoulos knows that 
either either he has the best offer or a competitive offer at the very very least. So rightly they'll set a they'll set sort of a price point that they're okay with and you know it's kind of who blinks first but honestly between the two teams the Marlins have more have more desperation than the Braves do it's just kind of the reality they have to trade him if they don't trade him they're out of their minds because they're not anywhere close to doing anything and he's gonna leave and he doesn't want to sign an extension and all this stuff like they have to maximize him now they probably should have traded him already to be honest with you probably should have traded him last year during the season um whereas the Braves you know they have like a catcher tandem of Flowers and McCann, that's acceptable. Like, it's not anything sexy or great, but it's fine. This is a team that could make the playoffs right now. Uh, As I said last time on the podcast, I wouldn't pick the Braves to make the playoffs right now today, but they certainly could. Obviously, we were wrong about them last year. Everyone was wrong about them last year. So It's far more more likely preseason 2019 for them to make the playoffs than it was 2018. I mean, like, (laughs) the, 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 the thing about the division this year is it's better. Which kind of makes those kind of that division record that the Braves kind of feasted on last year less likely. But I mean, it's not like Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna like that. That extra year for them, it, they're not getting older. They're they're this is like the time where they're figuring things out, and they could actually be better. The rotation could be better. The bullpen could be better. I mean, I would probably pick the Braves honestly, but I, I understand that like there's like probably a three way race in my mind, anyways, to like as rosters are currently constructed as to like who could come come out of the NL East. And that's, you know, like the Braves don't have to make this deal. If they make this deal, they're probably the favorite in the division. Um, by most accounts, I would imagine just because the offense becomes that much better. Yeah. Uh, if they don't have to give up anything of present, which, they, which they're not going to do. So yeah, I would, I would assume that, you know, they may not be the overwhelming favorite. I think they would be closer to the favorite, if not the favorite, if they had real moto considering, just the upgrade there. I think it's probably like a two or three one upgrade, um, and that's yep. a big swing. Yeah, and that's like, but at the same time, if the Braves don't make this deal, it doesn't sink their season. It just doesn't. No. You know, you know, like it's not. It's not one of those like if they if they don't make this move, they can't win the division because, and that's what the Braves should be thinking about. Is you know like is this is the price we're willing to pay? If if it was something like if we had this one player that wins us the division, maybe that's different, and that maybe factors in your calculus different. Or yeah. the World Series. I mean, it's the same, which yeah. is kind of the same thing, honestly. Because once you get in the playoffs for the for any anyone in Major League Baseball, within reason, you have a chance. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I don't think that I'm sure Braves fans will be mad that I'm saying this. I don't think that the Braves with Real Muto are a top five World Series contender. That's just me. It's it's certainly possible that they could be that if everything went right again. You know, last year, not everything, but most stuff went right in 2018. If the stars align like that again, and then you throw in an all-star cal- caliber catcher like Real Muto, plus Donaldson, like being Donaldson in capital letters, then sure, maybe you're a World Series contender. Um, but I do think the gap between Real Muto and what they have now is big enough to where I wouldn't be hemming and hawing about picking them to make the playoffs anymore. If they had Real Muto, I'd probably have them in the playoffs. Um, that's a big that's a big step. I mean, it, it's a meaningful one. It makes you money in the playoffs as well. You have that you have, you have that postseason revenue kind of pay for yep. itself. Um, there's all kind of there's all kinds of stuff that you have to factor in when making the playoffs. And um, yeah, so it's a big deal. We know how good he is. I mean, we're on record as saying catcher isn't necessarily the spot, but he's the only guy available right now in trade in the whole league. That's just like everyone knows he's available. That's an all star. Like he's the only one that's like that right now. Yeah. And this is not how I envisioned the trade market going. I honestly no. thought it was going to be there more, more, more team players available, teams involved, and it just everyone's just kind of locked up their guys, except for the Marlins, who you know if they're not nailed down to the floor, they're willing to trade them. Uh, except for Real Muto, who is trying to get out the door as 
you know, his best he can. And the Marlins are very could very easily find a way to mess this up. Um, the the offer that the Reds were talking about, where it's like Tucker Barnhart and Jonathan India to get J, J, Jonathan uh, to get JT Real Muto. If the Marlins accepted that, the PR disaster because all of a sudden you'd hear all these other offers that the other teams were making and that were probably twice as good as that by a, a fair a good margin. It, there, there's a good chance that the big if the if the Braves don't get the get JT Real Muto, it's because the Marlins probably screwed up and. That's kind of a shame. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> um, all right, we could probably leave it there on Real Muto. We've done plenty of plenty on him in the last you know four months. It's been a long yeah. time. Um, okay, let's talk. Let's talk about some prospects, Eric. Because since last time you and I talked, we've not gone over your I guess our prospect list, the top thirty on Talking Chop. If you somehow missed that, it's been a couple weeks now. Go read them. It's very very important that you go go click on those and read them and, and sort of devour them. Uh, we're going to come back to that in a second to talk about your picks along with um, all of our staff. But there's been a bunch of prospect lists that have come out in the last week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, there's been a bunch. Three or four, I guess four of them that I made notes of. Uh, Baseball America, uh, Baseball, Baseball Prospectus, Keith Law, BSPN, and MLB Pipeline all kind of came out. We're not going to go through all those today, but um, has, has anything jumped, jumped out to you in terms of comparing your list to some of the other national consensus lists. Cause I mean, every, obviously stuff's going to be different in between everyone's um, rank because it's, it's prospect rankings. They're not going to be um, consensus on everything, but anything, anything jump out to you is like a theme that you've seen around the internet in terms of the Braves prospects and how they're being ranked right now. Well, I will say shouts out, shout out to the fine gentlemen and ladies. Um, I assume that there's ladies involved in this process as well to Mike Soroka is their number one prospect over at MLB pipeline. Uh, you know, this probably this seems very likely to be the last chance that he's going to get ranked at all. Uh, he's going to he's going he's going to be involved with the major league team likely before midseason, even if he doesn't make that last rotation spot or anything like that. Um, but it, it comes down to their their between Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, Keith Law, and MLB Pipeline. There were four different players that were number one. Austin Riley was for Baseball America. Ian Anderson was for Baseball Prospectus, Kyle Wright was for Keith Law, and Soroka was for Pipeline. And all that tells you is what we talked about in our list is that we honestly feel like there are probably eight, maybe nine guys who you can shuffle all around. Uh, maybe there's some sub-tiers there where, you know, like maybe a Bryce Wilson wouldn't be in contention for like a top three or top four spot. But those eight or nine guys, you can kind of shuffle them all around, and there's real justifications based on, you know, you know MLB readiness and, you know, stuff versus you know kind of projectability versus kind of real world value right now there's a lot of things that you could hone in on it would give you very different lists regardless for us there's again and there was a lot of that even just with our list uh, we were dealing with let's see i think it was six people voting this year uh with different with their own prospect rankings and rankings were all over the place it was really close at the top we uh, between soroka and ian anderson if one i think if you know like basically one person had switched uh, it would have probably ended up with Ian Anderson at number one. It was really, really close, and I, I don't, ha- I, I don't have anything that jumps out in terms of, you know, what in God's name are they thinking putting that guy there or that guy there? Because you're going to have people who are going to believe in Drew Waters' projectability and think that his bat's going to play more than Christian Pache, and you're going to have people who think that Christian Pache's like pure athleticism and like real world swing and plus defense it makes him a better player. And you see, you see the Drew Waters versus Christian Pache thing. You know, flip flop all the time, and I understand it. It's a hard you're you're having to make bets that are kind of hard to 
hard to fault either way because there's real reasons for it. And that's kind of what the I say it was a problem because ultimately we came up with a list that I'm happy with. And at the very least, we came up with the right guys kind of in that top 10 area that these are the guys that are kind of in contention for those top spots. And, you know, if you have personal preferences or certain things that you look for, whether it be, you know, maybe you don't value position, you value position players more than pitchers and things like that. You could move Riley up. You could move Pache up. You could move Waters up and vice versa. It's. It was a. I, I want to say it was a tough list, but it was more of a, a a list where the order of the probably the top eight or nine guys that I I don't have confidence in saying I do think that that guy is two spots better than the other guy because again they're all kind of in the same tier for us. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. Obviously, this is something that I don't do all the time. You know, I, I do follow these guys closer than most people, but I'm not a. Uh, I'm definitely not a scout. I'm not a prospect ranker someone who is an expert by any means i have some opinions but i'm going to defer to people like you that watch these guys a lot more than i do in general but i mean i didn't really have a, too many hot takes on what i saw i mean i think pache is like being all over the place is not surprising to me there's people that are really high on him there's people that are not so high on him and i think that's just the way that his profile is like as someone who doesn't have a ton of power like you kind of have to like that kind of player or you're not going to like him um well Riley, and, go ahead but, I'll say with Pache, it's not so much like because he hit for more power last year. Like he, he did he, more, he, he, more power. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he, well, he but like and he showed a step forward, so that maybe that isn't a reason to knock him, right? And like if you see the guy, you realize like he's not a like a rail. He's not like a rail thin guy or a guy that you can't think that he's not strong enough to get the ball over the fence. The bigger problem is just his hit tool in general and his ability to get on base because one, his ability to translate his very real plus to plus plus speed. To, translating that to stolen bases had, didn't really happen last year, and he's a guy that doesn't walk a lot. And if you combine with the like the kind of the like the weird power profile issues that did improve but weren't particularly great, and the fact that you don't draw walks, it's whether or not his bat is going to have is going to be an impact one. I think everyone agrees that at the very least he's a plus defender, if not more than that, right now. And I mean, he makes plays in the outfield look easy. It's just whether or not that his athletic gifts are going to translate to offensive performance simply because his bat in general combined with his plate discipline. I mean, right now, if he was, if he was in the major leagues, I mean, he might, he, he might have a sub 300 OBP and that's not going to work. You're going to have, he's going to have to learn to, you know, lay off pitches and, you know, in the minors right now, what he can do is, you know, he can hit rollers, he can pull rollers to the you know left side and he can beat them out because he's so fast, but he's going to have to drive the ball more, but he's also a guy that you see those athletic gifts and you're like, man, if he just figures it out and he just kind of learns how to be a better hitter, like this is a guy that could be a perennial all-star. And there are people who are like, I think that he can do it. And he, you, see the, you see the improvements. And there are other people who are like, I think there's a real limit to what he's going to be offensively, even as good as he is defensively. And, you know, if you I – mean, I can't fault anyone either way because there have been plenty of people who have been super athletically gifted who ended up not being particularly good baseball players. And just because raw athleticism doesn't always translate, but there's also been plenty of guys where like, you know, they had a year where they, a couple of years where they hadn't quite figured out and then they put the work in and they made the adjustments and then they turned into, you know, some of the better players that we see on the field right now. So it's, it's a tough, again, with Pache, Pache, I have no problems if he was at the back end of a top 100 or if he's higher up, you just, it, but it's pretty clear as to what people are placing their bets on in that case. 
yeah, I totally get why. He's just kind of that. It's kind of it's kind of easy to see why people are split on him. You know, Riley's been somebody who has always been kind of polarizing. Like for instance, Keith Law ranking him in the top 100 for the first time. He's kind of been notoriously low on Riley. I've been a little bit lower on Riley in general as well. But like, he, for instance, he has a split of uh, as high as 22 for Baseball America, and Law has him at 87. That's a pretty wide range. Not in, not insane, but pretty wide. And obviously, we have him at, we have him at four. I think all of those are within reason. I think it's the same sort of thing. Like I th- again, I didn't see anything particularly crazy on any of these lists. I think the one guy I'm, and it kind of goes along with what you guys are uh, as well. Bryce Wilson's a little bit, there's some splits on him. I know we're not super high on him as a collective. I don't know how you shake out versus the overall TC ranking on Bryce, but I was surprised to see him like in a couple of like top sixties. That surprised me just a little bit. He is a guy that, another guy that I understand it, it all comes down to the secondaries for him because his fastball is very good. And I mean, you saw when he made his major league debut against the pirates. I mean, he made that start look easy. Um, but then when he went to shift to the bullpen, he didn't do particularly well, but there are some people who honestly think that his secondaries are far enough behind that his future may end up being in the bullpen. And if you think he's a reliever, then obviously you can't make him into like, you know, like a top 40, top 50 prospect. But if you think that he can improve his changeup and his breaking ball gets better, I mean, he's a guy that can hold 97 miles an hour into the ninth inning. I've seen him do it. And that's not something that you necessarily find growing on trees. And he's also a guy that has, like, since he's been drafted, he went from, in Keith Law's eyes, he was a reliever and that his delivery was funky and that he just didn't think he was going to do it. And then within just a season of adjustments of, you know, kind of his, in his windup and kind of his delivery and how he attacked hitters, now, now Keith Law has him as, like, a, borderline top 50 prospect in baseball, you have to believe in those sorts of adjustments being made because he's probably not a great starting pitcher right now, but he's super young. I mean, he started this season at high A, and he made it to the major leagues this year, which is crazy. And you people will kind of gauge what they saw in the major leagues as kind of how they feel about him, whether or not you really thought that Pittsburgh start was you know kind of like, wow, he could really be something special. And he very well could be. Or if you saw the guy who didn't see a lot of time in the major leagues after that start and kind of faltered a little bit in that relief role, then maybe you're like, you wonder what those secondary pitches are and whether or not he'll be able to get major league hitters out. It's a tough decision to be made. Those, it's, it, he is a guy that will stay polarizing until he has like two or three years in the major leagues doing whatever he ends up doing. But I I like him a lot. I think I personally had him at like eight. Uh, And it's not necessarily being lower on him. It's just kind of, again, within those tiers, what risks are of what risks are more palatable than others for some, for some of our guys. And the risks with Bryce is that he just doesn't have that, you know, a particularly good, particularly good secondary pitches to pitch off that fastball of his, that will make you wonder if he's a guy that can like be a, like a starter for the long term. Not that he can, won't be a reliable major leaguer. I mean, he's already been in the major leagues, and I think he's he is a major leaguer. But you know, are you really going to rank him over a guy like a Kyle Wright who has really good stuff and has more developed secondaries, or a guy like Tukey who has you know a lightning fastball and a curveball that you know gives me heart palpitations? I mean, there are reasons why you might rank him above them in terms of like whether it be command or, you know, kind of what you think they would do in the major leagues right now. But that's kind of where he is right now, just that there's a lot of major league grade talent or that's close to it, or there's a lot of really high ceiling talent. And that just kind of puts him just at that, like kind of the edge of that first tier 
which again, I have no problems with him. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to end up being, might not end up being the best of all of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in play to be sure. Uh, one, two more things I wanted to, I wanted to ask you one, I assume that MLB pipeline is your favorite outlet now. Cause they have Soroka at number one on the Braves list. The, uh, <laughs> uh they, they, they certainly have my favorite, uh, prospect rankings. Uh, but Baseball America has my heart. Uh, oh, I know. I'm just yeah. It's, it's, well, it's no, funny. It's, it, and by the way, Soroka uh, was what top 25 for Baseball America. They were actually really high on the Braves in general. They had four in their top 40. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's it was funny once I saw once I saw Pipeline's list. I was like, I I don't think I would have ever bet that that was going to happen. Is that they were going to be that they were going to be highest on Soroka? But here we are. But I mean, they all do a lot of really good work and everyone gets different information and, and sees guides on different days. And it, it makes me happy that with the way in which information is being disseminated now, that it feels like now for, for it felt like a little, for a little while, especially when these guys in the low minors is that everyone was getting information from different places. And some of that information just was not good. And now it feels like that kind of, as these guys have risen through the system that we're kind of talking about the same eight or nine guys, uh, People can have their personal preferences and all that stuff, but again, you kind of see these guys being grouped in the generally the same areas, and that's kind of that's that makes me happy in the sense that you know it feels like that one we've been we've been fairly correct in how we've been looking at guys uh, all along, but at the same time that that the information that's out there is kind of similar to what we've been seeing. Yeah, and that's uh, probably a good way to put that as well. I mean, one the one thing I wanted to ask you then, aside from just we could parcel all of his list, but there's not really a reason. As you mentioned, they're kind of the same eight or nine guys in various orders. Um, I guess there's two more things. One thing was that Law did a um, organizational ranking and had the Braves at number three overall behind the Padres and the Rays. Um, number one, that's obviously um, just something to ask you about in general. But number two, it's pretty impressive, at least to me as an outsider in this prospect game, that the Braves would still have a top three class after losing Acuna and winning the NL East last year. It's kind of crazy to talk about how good the system still is, even with uh, obviously a couple of high-profile graduations recently with Acuna and Albies, et cetera, and, of course, a good major league team on top of that. Well, yeah, I mean, Max Fried graduated too, so oh, that's, yeah. a, that's another guy who was a top-10 guy for us uh, at various points, and he's no, longer, he's no longer prospect eligible. What's crazier is, I mean, the Padres and the race systems are legitimately very good. Uh, a, a, a name you're going to have to go ahead and pencil in now if you're following prospects at all is Wander Franco for the Rays. That kid is something special. And, like, that's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he's the king of the prospect rankings until he graduates and the Blue Jays figure out that they're a much better team once they call him up. But Wander Franco is going to be the next guy. I'm pretty sure he's going to be the top prospect in baseball sooner rather than later. Um, and, you know, the Potters have just this depth, this depth of pitching and precision prospects for that matter, led by Fernando Tatis Jr. That, I mean, they, they deserve, they deserve the one and two slots. Uh, but what's crazier to me is that the Braves, you know, with the graduations, you know, you would expect them to slip a little bit, but not having a first round pick is the big deal. <laughs> yeah. No, no first rounder. No, it was a top Cunha, 10, all these graduations. Like this is kind of crazy, man. They, they, they had a top 10, they have a top 10 pick that they did not sign. Which means in the next draft they're going to get a top ten pick and their plus, own pick, plus yeah. their own pick, uh, which I suspect and kind of hope that they spend on some position players just simply for need. I I can't see a world where another starting pitching prospect is going to have an opportunity anytime in the next decade at this point. But you know it's it's funny that how it's working. We're going to see some graduations. We're pretty sure that Mike Soroka is going to graduate. It's very likely that Tukey will graduate. 
Um, there's a, you know, a couple other guys, maybe a Gohara or a Kyle Wright, depending on what happens. Those guys graduate. But we can see at midseason or at the end of the season, this this top 10, top 15 is still going to be a really good top 10 or top 15 and guys that we really like. So it's And plus we're going to have two draft picks. Uh, obviously no international signings, but... You know, it, the, the system's not going to, like, just after 2019, just, like, you know, turn into nothing. I mean, the, it all comes down to whether or not what, what trades happen, if at all. But, you know, that, that that's a bigger question. It's kind of if they make a trade for a real Muto or someone else, who do they lose there? But overall, I mean, I, the system, they might not be the best in baseball anymore. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that they're not at this point. Um, but, I mean, like, to say that this system couldn't be a top-ten system for the next few years, I think it's entirely possible. Yeah, and that's again pretty pretty crazy and pretty impressive on the part of the Braves. Uh, all right, last question before I let you get out of here. On this fine Monday evening, um, if you had to pick someone that is outside that top nine or ten tier that will be that could jump in, that, that could sort of jump into it during this season or by the end of the season, like maybe maybe sort of a sleeper of sort. However, you want to put that. Who is your guy that can make the leap into being a top ten guy for the Braves? So I'm I'm going to give you a pitcher and a hitter. Um, for a pitcher, I, I love that. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Freddie Tarnock. This is a kid that is a very raw pi- as a pitcher, and he started off in the bullpen for Rome, and then he transitioned to a starter. R- good breaking ball, really live upper 90s fastball. Um, has kind of again, he's a raw prospect. He learns how he needs to learn how to pitch and kind of command his pitches better. But in terms of raw stuff, he's a guy that could jump into top 100s in a hurry. Another guy that I really like too, and we've all kind of liked him for a while, is a late round pick the Braves made in C.J. Alexander. Uh, his brother Blaze Alexander, I think, was selected by the Marlins like early in this draft, and he was selected out of a junior college. And all this dude does is hit. And while he didn't show power this year necessarily in terms of like home runs, anyway, he has it. And all you need to know is that we, you know. Not only has he hit everywhere he's been, and I think he made the jump all the way to high A this year in his draft year, but he also <laughs> he um he he got the non roster invite to spring training this year, which usually is reserved for kind of those top you know those top three or four round picks you know give those guys that they are quote unquote highly regarded a chance to look at big league camp, and he was invited this year, and as a third base prospect, especially if he shows some power, uh, he's a guy that maybe makes Austin Riley a little bit more expendable in the sense that he's, you know, it's another guy in your system that, you know, worst case scenario, if you really need a third baseman, he's a guy that you can believe you at least believe could do something. And so if we're picking two guys that those would be my two picks. I mean, this guy, the guy can hit and if he starts to show some actual power um, and coming off a long college season and then, you know, putting on the show that he did in his draft year, we're expecting to see some big things. So there, there you have it, folks. If you're trying to find, uh, if you have some sort, of, some sort of weird betting pool on uh, on good praise prospects, my my, my track record, my track record is pretty good on this too. You yeah, you're uh, you normally nail these. If, in my recollection, we we do this every year or so, and usually uh, are pretty ahead of the game on this stuff. So just file that away, Braves fans. That's all I'll say about that. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you about Contreras because I think he's easily the player that is the least discussed of all the top eight or nine guys and he he's now been on a couple of these lists not all of them he's the one guy who sort of popped up on one or two of these prospect lists and but not all of them we had him collectively at number eight overall so I guess enlighten the people on him I know this is not like a deep dive Braves prospect podcast usually so please 
share some info on, on Contreras and like what does he project as? I know that's sort of a tricky position as well when trying to evaluate that kind of player. Yeah, that so he has he has a very good arm and he has good feet. So like he can he moves quickly behind the plate. Doesn't always make the like the best decisions in ter- just in terms of like you know when he's blocking pitches and you know all that stuff. And you know he's still learning how to call games because he's young. But he's Wilson Contreras of the Cubs' brother. Um, he's Really athletic guy behind the plate. I think that he'll end up being a above-average defender, and I think that everyone I've, I've talked to is that he's improving each and every day at like calling games and like learning his craft. I don't know if he's a guy that's going to move super fast because catchers I don't think necessarily should. Um, if you move a catcher really fast and then you all of a sudden have him calling major league games, that's kind of a that's a problem. That's that I do respect the amount of reps that are required to like learn how to call games. Uh, and call them well, and learn how to frame, and all that other stuff. Um, but he's a guy. He's a guy with, at the, as a plate with pop. He he will draw walks. He will, you know, he he moves surprisingly well. I mean, he's not going to be like you know a twenty base dealer or anything like that. But you know, he he doesn't run, he doesn't run like a catcher. <laughs> um, and he's you know a guy that can you know spray the ball all fields. And for a guy that has like a a real bat that will probably be average more than power, I would imagine. Um, and a guy that feels like he can stick behind the plate, you know, right now he's kind of, there's a, there's like that tier of like three catchers or I would say three or four catchers that are like league wide that are kind of like good catching prospects that might stick in the major leagues. He's kind of on the outside right now just because he's, again, he only just got to high A this year, but he's a guy that I, I like how he seems to be involved he wants to be involved in every play in the game and as a catcher when like you have to kind of react really quickly to like chances to pick off guys or like you know make you know make throws that you know when a a guy decides to steal or whenever you have to like jump off the back of the plate and go get a foul ball and things like that all those quick twitch reactions that i look for in catchers i've i saw in my looks of him um again not everything's perfect still very young and still a work in progress into like doing all those things well but in terms of like you know what he what kind of how involved he is wanting to be in the game and being a part of this like the overall strategy of winning games like that's a guy that we're we're high on uh, others are as well and I think that he'll end up being really good. That sounds about right. Obviously, again, I've not seen these guys as much as you have, but you know, just an interesting name because I think he at least for me and my perception is the one guy who's kind of flying under the radar and part of that's position and part of that's probably you know proximity to the majors, etc. So just someone to keep in mind. Um, all right, that's probably enough, I think, unless you have something that you just want to desperately share, Eric, on this fun Monday. And I know positively that in the next hour or so after I post this podcast, there will be a trade. And I'm trying, yeah. to re- I'm trying to sort of reverse jinx that to some degree, but I also don't want it to happen because, as I mentioned before, I have three days of work travel. So if the Braves could just like hold on until after the NBA trade deadline on Thursday, that'd be great for me. <laughs> I mean, nothing nothing crazy. We get the prospect list done, so make sure you guys go read that. Uh, I'm actually doing some baseball card stuff at this point in time. Uh, doing Trying to do an article series about like my re-entry into that hobby. Uh, spoiler alert, it's quite expensive, uh, as I'm finding out, but it's also a lot of fun. Uh, so I should have something, some sort of update post that will be happening maybe in the next week, maybe two, uh, depending on how some things go and you know all, what I can get put together. But other than that, we're kind of just getting ready for, you know, minor league roster previews which will go up once the actual rosters are announced and we're going to be kind of looking at spring training as a who's going to make it make the squad and who's not and that's that's just right around the corner it's less than two weeks until we start seeing you know guys you know in workouts and actually doing stuff so 
you know, right now it's just kind of a little bit of a holding pattern waiting to see if the Braves are going to make any other moves and, you know, kind of seeing who we're going to have to work with on the minor league side uh, once, you know, the Braves break camp. Yep, and, um, you know, there's a lot going on. Follow Eric, follow me if you want mostly NBA talk, but there's some Brave stuff in there every, yeah. every once in a while. And uh, when, when the season starts, I usually ramp it up a little bit. Um, but, you know, I try to at least weigh in every once in a while, but hopefully you can, like, survive the Hawks tweets. I do cover the Hawks pretty <laughs> er, pretty earnestly. And uh, probably every day or so, Eric asked me some ridiculous question about the Hawks making the playoffs. So that's It's, ha- nice. it's, ha- it's happened. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's hilarious if it happens. Uh, listen, they won tonight. They've been playing well, but uh, we've gone for we've gone full circle at this point. Please follow Eric. Please follow the site. Please follow the prospect content and the minor league content. Be ramping up in the future. Obviously, spring training is almost here, man. We're like within what within two weeks of yeah, pitch, pitchers and catchers. catchers support. Yep, like like tr- like trucks are already leaving stadiums right now to head down. That is, uh, boy, that's outrageous considering the Super Bowl was yesterday. Um, but yeah, we're we're ready to go. I guess um, as, much, as ready as we're going to be, I suppose. But. I still think something's going to happen between now and spring training, really firing up on full, on uh, sort of on all cylinders. But if it doesn't happen, the Braves will have this roster and we'll have plenty to talk about. So thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll do it again very soon.